The one thing that people tend to realize at moments like this is that they wasted a lot of time when life was normal. It's not just what they did with their time. It's not just that they spent too much time working or compulsively checking email. It's that they cared about the wrong things. They regret what they cared about. Their attention was bound up in petty concerns year after year when life was normal. And this is a paradox, of course, because we all know this epiphany is coming. Don't you know this is coming? Don't you know that there's going to come a day when you'll be sick or someone close to you will die and you'll look back on the kinds of things that captured your attention? Because even if you live to be a hundred, there are just not that many days in life. It is always now. However much you feel the need to plan for the future, to anticipate it, to mitigate risks, the reality of your life is now. Our conscious awareness of the present moment is, in some relevant sense, already a memory. But as a matter of conscious experience, the reality of your life is always now. And I think that this is a liberating truth about the nature of the human mind. In fact, I think there's probably nothing more important to understand about your mind than that, if you want to be happy in this world. The past is a memory. It's a thought arising in the present. And the future is merely anticipated. It is another thought arising now. What we truly have is this moment and this. And we spend most of our lives forgetting this truth, refuting it, fleeing it, overlooking it. And the horror is that we succeed. We manage to never really connect with the present moment and find fulfillment there because we are continually hoping to become happy in the future. And the future never arrives. Even when we think we're in the present moment, we're in very subtle ways always looking over its shoulder, anticipating what's coming next. We're always solving a problem, and it's possible to simply drop your problem, if only for a moment, and enjoy whatever is true about your life in the present. There are more connections in a single cubic centimeter of brain tissue than stars in our galaxy and yet our inner experience offers absolutely no clue. We are subjectively unaware of most of what our minds are doing, and yet when we think about what matters, what matters is consciousness and its contents. Consciousness is everything. Our experience of the world, experience of those we care about, is a matter of consciousness and its contents. So whatever the origin of consciousness, the most important question for us is how can we truly be fulfilled in life? How can we create lives that are truly worth living, given that these lives come to an end? So the frame we put around the present moment is important and largely determines our experience of it, but it seems possible to experience life more nakedly than this to experience it without the obvious framework. 
to pay attention to the present moment closely enough so that you're not doing anything to it. You might feel that your consciousness is in your head or behind your face, but as a matter of experience, it is just more sensations arising in consciousness. The only evidence of your face and head is sensation arising in consciousness at this moment. Whatever you can possibly notice in your body, in your mind, in the world, has only one place to appear, in your conscious experience. Now, I'm not saying this is all just a dream, but as a neurological matter, it is very much like a dream. It is a dream that is constrained by inputs from the external world. And the dreams we call dreams at night are dreams that are not constrained by the external world. And that's why you seem to get away with everything. But you see, your mind is all you have. It's all you've ever had. It's all you have to offer other people. We are all trying to find a path back to the present moment and good enough reason to just be happy there. If you're constantly ruminating about what you just did or what you should have done or what you would have done if you only had the chance, you will miss your life. You'll fail to connect with it. You'll fail to connect with other people. Being the mere hostage of the next thought that comes careening into consciousness isn't useful. So if there's an antidote to the fear of death and the experience of loss that's complete with reason, I think it's to be found here. The purpose of life is pretty obvious. Why do we create culture and form relationships beyond matters of mere survival? We are constantly trying to create and repair the world that our minds want to be in. That was excerpts from the speech Death and the Present Moment by Sam Harris. And this is Dylan with Life. I used to think if I couldn't find hope I should just let it all go I used to think if I couldn't make dreams come true I should just let them all go When life seems I do this thing where I record the intro and then I stop recording knowing that I'm going to put in the music there and then I take a sip of water and honestly 75% of the time I choke on the water for some reason even when I take water try to sneak in a drink in the middle of the podcast I end up choking on the water and then I worry maybe irrationally that my voice is going to sound drastically different having just almost coughed up a lung and anyway that's where i'm at right now so hopefully the intro music broke up my voice for long enough for you to not notice that uh, i sound different 
from choking on some water. And hopefully this is a a nicer, a smoother, sexier podcast voice than uh <laughs> than what I had going before. Anyway, hello. How are ya? That's good. Glad to hear. Or bad. Sorry to hear. Depending on what your answer was. I'm doing good. Still surviving. Currently, as of today, still dealing with the Rona. Not like personally like I like I got the old COVID-19, but life's not back to normal. That being said, having not worked full-time since March 21st or so, I will be going back to work full-time this week. And I'm not excited about it. You know, I've had a lot of fun. Not even sure if fun's the right word, but I have had fun. I've had a good time with this time off. It's been incredibly healthy for at least my mind, not so much my body, because I'm not playing hockey and I'm not riding my bike as much, and I'm eating more meals. And so I'm just gaining weight. That being said, mentally, I'm in a better place. I've been able to set up my home a little bit. You know, I've lived in this place currently now for almost two years, and it's just been my apartment. Though it's been my home, it's never been homey. And at the start of this whole corona apocalypse, I think I had five houseplants. And now, just really a month into it, I've got 12. <laughs> and I'm loving it especially when I'm home but the the problem is like they don't need that much attention which is why I keep getting another one because it's something new and then I can repot it and then I can do this and it's like now they're all kind of on like a similar schedule and so I'll go a few days with not having to really do anything But yeah, that being said, 12 houseplants feels like I got friends or something. They're all watching me do this. It's kind of creepy. Also gotten super into fountains, little fountains. I went to get paint supplies so that I could do uh, some Bob Ross paintings to keep myself busy. And at the, the art store, Michael's showed them out. They had these fountains led well the one i got was an led fountain but for 50 percent off and i remember seeing them a year ago or something like 50 bucks for this little stone statue fountain that stands what are we saying eight inches 10 inches tall it's got a big base so maybe it's closer to 10 12 and i wanted it you know i think that's nice natural feeling but 50 bucks was just like, eh, there's no need to. But 
during the apocalypse when it's down to 25 bucks and I had to wait in line for an hour just to get in. I was like, I'm doing it. So I did it. I got it. Plugged it in. Loved it. Nice sound. The LED. The LED is under the water. And so the light that you get off it is nice. You know, it's a flickering, almost like a, like a flame um, with the ripples of the water splashing around it, over it. So that's nice. And then I was talking about it a lot to everybody that I was talking to because my talking points during this whole thing have been reduced to that, basically. I've got host plants and I've got fountains. Anyway, Google, always listening. I woke up the next day to an ad from Google saying, hey, 20-inch tall... LED Buddha stone fountain, 50% off, save 60 bucks. I was like, wow, how do I not do that since I'm the fountain guy now? And I've been wanting a Buddha in the house. So I did that, got this big ass Buddha statue in the house that's got even more LEDs than the other one. And I love it. Turn it on at night. Splashing around the plants. And I just sit here and read. It's a, it's a different world than, than a month and a half ago. I was not surrounded by plants. Lying down beside a Buddha. Reading a book. On back-to-back nights. A month ago. But here we are. And now that's going to end because I'm going back to work. And that's uh, a little depressing for sure. I'm going to be able to ease into it a little bit and we'll see what happens. There's reason to be excited with things going on at work. So there's some excitement, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it happens. We'll see how it goes. I do feel that I probably shouldn't be talking and thinking that I'm, I'm not excited about it because then I'm just not going to want to be there. I really should change, uh, not so much what I'm feeling, because I can't, but change what I'm saying so much, and remember to throw in that, no, it's it's good to get back to to that routine, and add some structure, and, and just try to take what I've done during this time, and add it to what life is normally like. Episode 15 is a milestone for me. You know, if you know me, which if you're listening to this, you you've you know a fair bit. And sticking to things, staying on task is not always my strongest suit. And to be able to say that I have stuck with this and done 15 episodes now does feel good. You know, it excites me for the next 15. You know, when I do one, it's like, okay, well... That excites me for the next one. Or when I got the first three done, you know, it excites me for the next three. That sort of helps it grow exponentially in a way that, you know, once I get to 15, I can look forward to the next 15. I'm not going to do three and then look forward to the next 100. I can't get ahead of myself. But doing 15, now I can look forward to to the next 15. And now I'm like, you know, now I'm, okay, well, that'll be 30 under the belt. And where will we be at that point? 
and then 30 more. So it feels good. Glad, glad to have you. Although I'm happy with 15, it does make me a little bit frustrated at having not started this sooner. I've been wanting to do this for years. And if I look back to, oh man, if I started this two years ago, where would we be? How many would I be at? And that's uh, to go off of that Sam Harris quote from the start. You know, you can't live in the past. That being said, I do think I can look at the past three months, four months. I've only been doing this for six months, maybe. I think you can look at the recent past. Don't live in it. Definitely don't live in the recent past. But look to it as like, okay, well, this is what I have been doing. This is what recently has been the case. And you need to reflect on that in order to make decisions going forward. I don't think I can look at two years ago. I don't think I can take anything from that. Unless it's a split second of being like, do things sooner. And that's more looking at where I'm at now. And then a quick comparison to years ago. But I can't be like, oh, remember three years ago... When each week I fucking was baking cookies and now I don't bake cookies. Like, so far gone. So don't live in the past, but do look to it at times when figuring out what you want to be doing now. Don't look at it just for the sake of looking at it and living in it. Don't let it control you in any way. But do use it as a tool to make now better and the now of tomorrow. I was laying on the couch earlier today and my cat was sleeping on my chest and my head was sort of off to the side a little bit and I had one eye closed. My left eye, for whatever reason, closes much easier than my right eye. I don't know what that's about. It's like some sort of lazy eye issue or something. It's weird. Even if I just slowly close my eyes right now, the left one just like snapshot, like he's just, he's happy to be done with working. But the right one goes down at a slower rate. I don't know which one's right or correct. I know which one's the right one. Anyway, I was lying there and only my right eye was open. And with that eye open, I can see her shoulder and her left eye and profile view of her face. I can see my own right shoulder. I just just barely see the corner of my piano. And then for whatever reason, I just closed that right eye and opened the left eye. And now I could look at, I was looking at her straight on and I could see both of her eyes. And her left eye, similar to me, was more closed than than the right one. So with just looking through my right eye, she looked like just out peacefully asleep. Looking at her with my right eye, I could see her other eye was sort of open. She was a little bit alert. No, I could see down her body and see her tail. Her tail was flicking a little bit. I could see more of the room. I could see the whole piano. And then I started going back and forth between just the right eye open, just the left eye open, just the right, just the left. Obviously, the corona times are getting to me, but 
while I was doing that, it was, you know, I realized how different things seem just based on your your perspective, your literal perspective of what you can look at and see from that view. And, you know, I was able to see and tell so much more about what she was feeling looking through my left eye than I was looking through my right. Both of them were, they weren't seeing anything wrong. They just were seeing different angles. And so if my two eyes were two different people, you know, to ask the right eye, you know, how, how's Belle? How's the cat? I'm like, oh, she's just sleeping soundly on me. And based on what the right eye was seeing, there's, that's correct. That's what I saw. That was, you know, I'm not wrong necessarily, especially based on all the information that, that I had, that that eye had. But then you ask the left eye and it would have a completely different idea of the way the cat was feeling or I got to thinking, obviously, it doesn't matter specifically about how my cat's feeling on my chest or what I'm seeing in my house, but just how much can change with a little bit of perspective, with looking at things from a different angle. Every situation is going to be seen differently by different people. Everyone has different levels of knowledge on different things and multiple people talking about the same things can be 100% genuine in what they're saying while being 100% wrong. And that's not necessarily their fault. However, to be wholly confident and to push aside other people's thoughts on a subject is your fault. It's the whole thing with politics. There's a left and a right, and <laughs> that lends itself really well to this perspective thing. But the two sides are looking at things from different angles. And that doesn't make one side right or wrong. From both of their angles, they believe they're right. They're not consciously trying to be wrong. Nobody wants to be wrong. The problem with these disputes isn't the differing opinions. It's the total disregard for anything that doesn't line up with yours. It's really just about looking at things differently, seeing things from a different angle, both literally and figuratively. Like, and this is something I don't do, but do appreciate all the relationships I have had, but... Get to know people and get to know people well. If for no other reason than just being able to gain the knowledge and perspective from knowing them and their experiences and how they differ from yours, how those different experiences have shaped them and how they react to things differently, it will help you in the future when getting to know other people, when you start seeing similar attitudes or reactions, you may now know more about this new person than either of you would think possible. All deep relationships, family, friend, romantic, what have you, have taught me so much more about people in general, but more importantly myself, and analyzing those have allowed me or helped me 
to get to a point where I'm more happy with myself and the way that I react to things. That's sort of how now, and to preface this thought process, I think that I've been afraid to cultivate certain relationships because of the fact that I'm not sure how long they will last. Whether it's at the start of them, and I'm just not sure I want to spend all that energy to then not have a long and fruitful relationship, or even after lots of time, if I feel a relationship is slipping away, even though still working at it, I stop trying to, in my mind, waste experiences. Like, hmm, I really want to go canoeing up the Indian arm, but uh, I I can't just do that with anyone because I want that memory and that time of relationship growth or relationship knowledge to be used on the right person. And I find then I don't do a lot of things that I should have. Now I'm trying to look at it like, and this is really new thing for me as I've just spent some time thinking about perspective and branching off, but now I'm looking at it with the goal of, at worst, gaining some perspective. You know, even if that friendship ends the next day, I've still gained the knowledge of how someone else reacts to things and how I react to those same same things and can compare and really just use it maybe selfishly, for personal growth. And I'm not saying go out there and make random people fall in love with you platonically or romantically and then frig off on them, but if you're like me, don't worry about wasting any experiences because you can learn from every situation, especially when doing it with someone else and gaining their perspective. Gaining but more importantly, looking at their perspective. Three people could be looking at a six. Or at least, for one of them, it's a six. And for one of them, it's a nine. And maybe for that third person, it was a symbol they've known from their childhood, from some random event, but that symbol signifies life. And those are all going to produce very different emotions and thoughts, and none of those are wrong. But none of them are right either. Or all of them are both. It's just a matter of their perspective, the way that they were looking at it, and the knowledge or information that they have. And I think really, that's what needs to change. I think we need to stop caring and putting so much emphasis on what is right or wrong or correct or false. And instead, we need to start having the discussions about why this person or group sees it this way and why this other person or group sees it another way. If we can start having those conversations without trying to be right and instead just trying to understand, 
a lot of conflicts, both small and personal and large and worldly, would be moot. You know, they wouldn't escalate. But instead, everybody wants to be right. And I'm victim of it at times, for sure, because, you know, who likes to be wrong? But I do really try not to care and just figure out why someone thinks that way. And I think maybe I sound argumentative at times or like I'm playing devil's advocate even in some situations. And some people may not appreciate that based on what they think I'm doing because that's how they're seeing it. But again, on this whole topic, that's not the case. I'm just trying to get into the other person's brain or their side and understand so that I can feel a certain way. It's not to be right. It's just to see, it's just to see it all. Imagine if religions didn't care about being right, just did their own thing, explained their beliefs and listens to others on theirs, had conversations instead of arguments. We should start that. Hashtag. Hashtag conversations, not arguments. Hashtag speak. Not tweak. Hashtag talk. Not balk at conversation. Say hi, not bye. Hashtag words, not swords. <laughs> That's actually pretty good because swords is just words with an S at the front. you guys out there have those folding two or three panel mirrors in your bathroom? I remember as a kid, I used to put my head in there and fold them around me and slightly rotate my head and then look around at each reflection. It was like a kaleidoscope and you could create these Long hallways. That's some kind of perspective, right? Seeing seeing yourself in a different light. That's what I thought it was for growing up. Just having fun. Some kind of toys. But now I get that it served a purpose of checking yourself out from different angles. To make sure everything looked right, I guess. Having a beard, it's very useful for checking both sides and jawline and things, however. And the reason this is on my mind is because I was doing it earlier. I still like to just stick my head in there and have conversations with myself, you know? But then I got to thinking, what would it be like to be surrounded completely by mirrors? And... Actually, 
what would how would that work if you had a square room that had all four walls as mirrors and then the ceiling and the floor as mirrors and nothing in it just completely empty like what would that room look like like i can picture a a square room white walls white ceiling white floor i can picture that i cannot picture like it makes my eye twitch to try to picture a square room that was just completely mirrors I mean, I guess it would just be darkness. But if it could somehow be illuminated or bright, but without a visible light source so that it doesn't reflect, like what would, what would they reflect? Would it even look like there were walls? Would it look like some sort of void? What if it was just you in there? How many times and where would you get reflected? How many, you know, would reflections just fill up the walls? Would it just be continuous? Like that'd make people go insane more so than you put people, I don't know. I mean, you don't. I don't think you do anymore. But they used to like put people in straight jackets. Maybe they still do. Crazy people. Real crazy people. Put them in straight jackets and like throw them in the padded room. Imagine just putting someone in a completely mirrored box. They would go insane so quickly. It's crazy the things that we used to do and practice as medicine and mental health treatment like lobotomizing people and just crazy things that you just don't do anymore that you know does not help and you gotta wonder if because we learn things all the time and then things change and you know this place gets closed down and that place gets closed down and they're like, oh yeah, I guess that was wrong to be doing. Usually it takes a longer time, but over a lifetime it can certainly change. And if you were working somewhere at the age of like 20 to 25 just as a helper at a place like that, or at any sort of place that did things one way, and then after you know 30 years go by, you realize that that was so wrong. Like We always look back on the past and realize that we were doing things that were wrong. And I wonder if you feel guilty. I would imagine I would feel guilty working in some sort of insane asylum. And at the time, you feel like you're doing right. But afterwards, you'd probably be filled with, or would you? You'd probably be filled with guilt. I think I'd be filled with guilt because, you know, I think I would look and see and realize what we were doing was wrong. But should they feel guilty? Because it, it wasn't wrong at the time. And though it seems wrong, obviously wrong now, that's based on, you know, new perspectives, new ways of seeing things. 
And that was the way of seeing things then. Guilt's a, guilt's a weird one, though. Guilt has to be one of the most powerful emotions or feelings. And I feel like it should be talked about more, really. The reason I feel that way is because a lot of the times you feel guilty, you shouldn't. And it's very hard to convince yourself of that. And these thoughts come up now because I've read so many stories about multiple public officials who have committed suicide over the past couple months due to the coronavirus. You know, these were people in various positions, health officials and finance ministers, but in all cases, there was a feeling of guilt for not being able to do their job properly or just not be able to help the way they feel they should or or want to. And from the outside, it seems so apparent that it's not their fault and that they shouldn't take it so personally. But that's a type of support that's hard to voice. I think what's going on in a lot of places in the world, I know here in Vancouver we're doing it at 7 p.m. every day, making as much noise as possible for, for a minute or two to show our support for healthcare workers. And that will hopefully ease some of those maybe guilty feelings. Like we just appreciate that you're still out there and trying. But if you are struggling with feelings of guilt, even if you know you shouldn't be, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you are feeling that way. And if you're feeling guilty, you should voice it. You know, mention it to someone. Whatever it is, let somebody other than your mind tell you that you're doing everything you can. As a personal anecdote, when my best friend was in his motorcycle accident uh, a year and a half ago now, I spent the first few days straight at the hospital. I was sleeping there, only stepping outside for, for fresh air at times, and it was because I wanted to be there in case anything happened, in case help was needed or in case there was something I could do. And during the first few weeks, all I did with my spare time was spend it at the hospital. Even when we couldn't be bedside and he was in surgeries or getting tests done and when things weren't going so well and he couldn't have visitors, I still had to be there. And I remember talking with another close friend of mine who was doing the same. And we would talk about everything. And we had friends who were obviously still living their lives, going out for drinks and letting off steam in different ways, trying to have fun. But we both agreed that whenever we weren't there, we had this intense feeling of guilt. And I remember for the first month or two, I would always catch myself when I started to smile or 
laugh at something and I'd think, man, Andrew is still at the hospital in a coma and I'm out here having a good time. And then I'd stop smiling and it was this guilt of, I don't even know, just not fully being there, I guess, and being absent at times and maybe forgetting for a while the gravity of the situation and looking back on it now I mean that's what I needed to do I needed to step back I needed to still live my life but that was a very hard thing to to accept and that's a very real feeling of guilt and one that comes from not doing anything wrong But the thing with guilt is it doesn't really care what happened or whether you did anything wrong or if you could have done more, it just guilts you into feeling that way. Like, that's how it works. There's someone near and dear to me that's in the veterinary field. And I'm so proud of her for that because that's a career that can carry a lot of those unwarranted guilty feelings. Same with any type of medical field. You know, these people are not paid enough to be doing the work they're doing. The mental peaks and valleys that they have to weather, not just within themselves, but also those that come from pet owners and loved ones, is a feeling that most of us, luckily, will never have to deal with. And they deal with it on a daily basis. You know, could you imagine... Having a kitten or a puppy die when your job was to save it or to try to save it or even when it was a hopeless cause but you decided to try anyway because that's that's why you're there. None of that is ever your fault. You don't make the rules. You don't get to say who lives and dies and yet you're kind of expected to. And I applaud anyone who chooses to work in that field. And even further than that, sometimes things are your fault. But that doesn't mean that you should feel guilty. You know, feeling guilty is only good for when you purposely do something wrong or bad or whatever. I've never worked with someone who never made a mistake. I'd like to think I'm pretty efficient. And I certainly make less mistakes at work than maybe the average person, but I'm far from perfect. No one's perfect. And luckily for me, when I screw something up, it just means someone's food isn't exactly what they wanted. It doesn't mean that I've complicated someone or something's health and well-being. And again, I'm sure that can take a toll on a person, but it's important to remember that that was not your intention that mistakes happen and there's thousands of examples and situations where you did the right thing where things went properly and one mistake here or there doesn't undo that i'm just trying to say if you're trying your best then there's no need to feel guilty And I know that's not going to magically make those feelings disappear. I just think it's important for people to hear that every now and then. Because guilt 
Guilt works in mysterious ways. This episode's been a lot more on topic than a lot of other episodes. I think that that's probably it, though. I think we can probably call her a day. Recommendation. I don't think I have ever formally recommended it, so houseplants. Go out and buy three houseplants. They're not that expensive. They're everywhere. Just get them at random stores. You don't have to go to a a florist, a botanist, a horticulturalist. Go to, I mean, I go to Canadian Tire for some of them. Just Google plant, order them. You can order plants online. They arrive in the mail, live plants. You don't even have to plant them. They're just ready to go. But go out and get a couple of plants. They're cheap. I think that's the problem. And, you know, I I was thinking, but I don't know how much I've spent on plants the past month. Probably when I'm taking into consideration the planters, the plants themselves, soil. And it's not like I've been doing it the cheapest and I've bought too many fucking plants. But I spent like, like 200 bucks, maybe 300 bucks. <laughs> Doesn't matter. What I'm trying to say is that I could have spent that money on like a new dining room, dining area table or a new desk or a new shelving unit or something along those lines, like a piece of furniture. And that would have been great. It would have also added something to my to my space, to my home that made me feel happier and more comfortable in it and made me just put me in a better mood while I'm here. But you buy that table and that's it. That's the table. It's there. You can move it around, but that's it is what it is. I think the fun and exciting thing with houseplants is, first of all, they're cheaper than fucking a new piece of furniture is going to be. And then it's like a piece, you know, it's a decoration piece. You know, you get to put it somewhere in the house and it adds something. But then the exciting part comes when a year later, let's say you bought a table and a plant. The table looks the exact same. The plant's going to look completely different after a year <laughs> for better or for worse and i think that's a lot of fun i mean they change day to day one of these plants i got alocasia something or other it's just got big ass leaves it's called like a elephant ear plant just big ass leaves there's only five leaves on it anyway i watch this thing move all day like when i wake up and i sit down on the couch and i'm having a tea it's got this one big leaf in the middle that's usually sitting horizontally. And now I'm sitting here looking over at it, and that thing is vertical. It's standing upright, you know, as it moves sort of towards the light. And then as the night goes on and it gets later, it's going to drop back down. And so houseplants is the recommendation because not only are they probably good for the mental health, they purify the air, they look good. 
You can get a bunch of them that look all different. They're alive, so they're moving and growing. You can kill them and, I mean, you'll feel bad, but you're not going to feel bad the way that if you killed like a cat. So, houseplants, gotta go get a houseplant. No, go get three was the recommendation. Go get three houseplants. Don't feel guilty. Try to use perspective next time you get, uh, next time you feel any sort of way. Maybe don't do it when you're happy because just be happy. But definitely if you get upset or you get angry or if, you know, something's not going your way and you get all pissy, just look at, try to look at it from a different perspective. Look at it at not your perspective. Look at it as your friend's perspective. Or look at it at your girlfriend's perspective or your best friend's perspective. How how do they see your situation? How would they react? Or how would they tell you to react? You know, a lot of times it's personal. You know, that's, I mean, that's your perspective. It's going to be personal. And so it's hard not to feel that way because it's yours. But if you can take yourself out of yours and look at it from somebody else's, then you might realize, oh, that's silly. I should not be so upset. I should laugh it off. When you go get a plant, get a ficus of some kind. There's a rubber plant and a weeping fig and a fucking fiddle leaf, fiddle leaf fig. Uh, there's a couple more. Get one of those. Or if you already have one, Send me pictures of them. Tell me all about it. This is episode 15. Happy about that. (laughs) Alright. That's it. That's the show. See See you next time. Talk to you. Talk to you next time. Hear me. Hear me next time. (laughs) Uh. Hope you learn